0: Welcome to Brawny Conversations. I am Patrick Braun, your host. This podcast will provide our listeners with informative and entertaining discussions held with experienced people covering a wide range of topics. If you want to shorten your learning curve or just learn more about one of our topics, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy our discussion. Welcome to Brawny Conversations. Today's guest is Nathan Powell. He's a graduate of Texas A&M, He graduated in 2014 with a degree in nuclear engineering. Yes, that's right. An actual rocket scientist is on the podcast, and he has quite an interesting story to tell us. He's probably one of the most intelligent guys I know, and there will be jewels of wisdom for all of us as he relates his career story to us. The amazing part is that Nathan is just 30 years old, with most of his career in front of him. Nathan worked in the global energy and technology industry as a data scientist and engineer before joining the family business in 2021. He has both an insurance license and a Series 65 license as a registered investment advisor representative. Nathan also handles all of the Medicare supplement and Medicare Advantage plans for our clients over the age of 65. Nathan is married, and he and his wife are expecting their first child, a son, this December. What a wonderful time in their life. Welcome, Nathan.
1: Hi, Patrick. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. You've accomplished a lot in your short professional career. There's a ton left in front of you, but I'm uh, oh, looking forward Don't to tell me more about it. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, thank you so much for the nice intro. You know, it's pretty funny that the more we get to know each other, we realize that we found that we have so much in common. We, uh, we're both avid golfers. Uh, we're both Aggies. Um, we both... We'll have a son. Well, you have two, but I'll have one here in December, like you mentioned. And we even found out one day we share the same birthday. So uh, we're both pretty career driven and family people. So, I mean, it was a natural friendship, I think.
0: It really is, and, and it is so strange. I don't think I've ever met anybody else who's who shared my birthday. Actually, one other person, a, a soon-to-be baseball player at Rice University, he and I share share a birthday. But uh, you're, the, you're the two people. It's crazy on the same day.
1: Yeah, So, it is.
0: Nathan, glad to have you today. And you know, as you sit down for this conversation, what are your thoughts and expectations?
1: You know i was just so honored you even asked me to to jump on your show with you and and really when we were talking about kind of everything you mentioned in the intro there i realized how blessed i really have been in this life to have so many positive experiences and so much fortune luck opportunity and caring people around me that it would be a shame to them not to talk about all of, all of the wisdom I've gained, all of the lessons I've learned, and, and maybe some even tidbits I can share with anybody who wants kind of a shortcut for advancing their career or moving forward and, you know, investments or really anything that you can apply to, to this. Um, I, I have a lot to share and, and really that's what I want to do is help anybody else out that's out there.
0: Fantastic. Well, let's get started. It's only logical that we start with with our university, Texas A&M University, and more specifically, nuclear engineering as a degree path. How in the world did that happen?
1: You know, it's kind of funny. I went most of my life, not really sure what I wanted to do up um, up until about 17. I, I knew I really liked math. Uh, I was pretty good at it. Uh, I know I really liked the kind of hard sciences like physics and chemistry. And so it just, it was kind of natural to fall into something like engineering. But I didn't, I didn't even really know engineering existed until I was about 17 and was talking to the guy that I eventually lived with at A&M all four years. And I said to him, "Hey, what are what are you doing?" He said, "I'm I'm doing engineering." I'm like, "Cool, what is that?" He's like, "Oh, it's um, you know, it's math, it's science, it's really you can pick whatever flavor of it you want." And I was like, "Okay, cool." So I went home and and did some research, and um, you know, A and M has a for those who don't know, A and M has a fantastic engineering program, one of the top in the country, um, and they offer more than a dozen different engineering disciplines, some pretty broad like mechanical and some very specific, like some specific computer engineering types. Um, And I just decided that, you know a and m was probably one of the contenders along with the University of Texas being from the Houston area it was um, kind of down to those two um, but but really it came down to a and m when I visited campus I mean everybody has their kind of aha moment when it comes to picking between schools I think and 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 going to a m and seeing the 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 traditions the the people there everybody was so friendly it was college station where Texas a is, is just a, it's a nice place to be. It's a, it's a town that is completely surrounded by the university and for the university. So it just felt like home. It was, um, you know, the traditions like getting your Aggie ring, um, the network all around and, uh, the activities that they had to do there, as far as getting involved in organizations and clubs and different things. It was, it was just, it was not a hard decision at all. Um, you know, my Nathan, parents- that's uh, that's
0: an Nathan. That's another commonality we have. I don't know if you know this, but um, I was applying to colleges. I'd actually uh, been a, grew up in New York and California and transferred into Texas for my senior year of high school. But I had applied to UT and A&M my junior year from a school called McQuaid Jesuit in uh, Rochester, New York. I was accepted at both. Uh, When I got to Texas, I actually did a visit to both and and loved both schools. But for many of the same reasons you mentioned, uh, I chose A&M uh, I was actually accepted as an electrical engineer, although I never took a class there because those guys were way smarter than me. And I actually uh, went to business. But um, UT was an awesome place. I spent a lot of time there. But uh, I just figured there were so many distractions. Uh, College Station was a better fit. And that's ultimately why I chose A&M. So very, very, another commonality between the two of us.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, we it, we find new things all the time. <laughs> It was for me, at least I don't know how it was for you, but for me, it came down to really um, also my parents encouragement. Uh, I, I completely agree with you that Austin is an amazing city and it's full of cool things and culture and um, great food, uh, great activities, but it can be just One hundred percent. It's
0: it's one of the great cities in America, for sure. So fun. Such a great place to be. Great energy.
1: Yeah. And I love visiting, but I remember my dad saying to me, it's, um, he said, I just don't want the city to swallow you whole. And it was a very kind of important lesson of for for me at least of like, you know, my parents have been through this before they've, 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 they both went to college. I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of build on their lived experience. And, um, uh, while neither of them are Aggies, it was, um, they just felt that it was a better, uh, just a really better fit for me and, and what my goals were. So, um, I don't know if it was similar for you at all, if your parents had any sort of input, but I've, I've leaned on them my whole life and, you know, will continue to.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And it was great, great counsel. Uh, You know, my dad did the the trip with me to the visits. And uh, ultimately, it was, it was completely my decision. But uh, I had some maturity just based on how I had grown up and and knew myself and knew, uh, uh, you know, how I would spend my time. And College Station was just the, the right choice for me and uh, and ended up being great. I spent four great years at A&M and made great friends and and, uh, you know, leveraged the alumni network and never regretted going there for for my uh, undergraduate degree. It was a fantastic experience.
1: Oh, yeah, totally agree. So. So, so when I got I continue, there. Nathan. Yeah. So, when, so when I got there, I, um, I actually started as a biomedical engineer. Um, w- what that is, is somebody who really engineers medical devices, any sort of parts that might be used in, um, both external and internal medicine. Um, they were really into, uh, stints that go into hearts. That was what I kind of remember learning about in my seminar class I took for it. And it, it was interesting for sure, but it just quite... Didn't itch that part of my brain that I thought that it would. It was uh, fortunately, it's something that you don't have to really hard commit to um, as an engineer. You you kind of get a few semesters of core classes that are you know physics is physics and it's not flavored for any one engineering track but it's just kind of your general core classes so the university knows this and they predict that people at 18 years old probably can't pick what they want to do for the rest of their life so they give you that flexibility which is really nice um to to kind of just do all the core stuff and then switch but they hold this career night um where they show you kind of what each engineering discipline can go into a career for and what each engineering discipline is um, more or less about. And it's mandatory attendance. You have to go to one of the two nights, I think. And you end up seeing a little bit about each engineering discipline and deciding if you want to stick with what you're at or if you want to maybe move into something else. And I went to the presentation for the nuclear Department, and no pun intended was totally blown away and it was one of the coolest things I had ever seen as far as energy production goes, as far as research goes, as far as the content that you would get in school. Did you know that am has a fully working research reactor on campus?
0: I did not that's uh that's interesting and scary and fascinating all at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's about power wise, it's about one one thousandth of what you would see at like a commercial grade nuclear site, like the South Texas project down near the coast in here in Texas. I'm familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So it's not, it's not power generating at all. They just use it for research. It's a, it, the first time I got to see it was one of the coolest days of my life. And um, it's completely open and you can see the rods glowing down in the water. It's, it's amazing. Wow. It's. Uh, wow. So, I
0: could see. Yeah. That's I really was cool. I did not know. I bet <laughs> a lot of our listeners aren't aware of that either. So uh, that's pretty cool.
1: It's yeah, it's really the nuclear department. I think they still give tours of it, um, especially for incoming students. So I, if anybody's interested, reach out to the nuclear department there. It's very, very cool. Okay. That's my one plug for the nuclear department there. I um, love it. But it was a risk for but sure. You, okay like swapping majors and into something that is more niche, um, mechanical, electrical, civil engineering. These are the big engineering disciplines. These are the ones that have the, you know, abundance of jobs whenever you, you graduate. And I think that it was not necessarily um, something I considered at the time. I kind of just went with what my gut told me to do and what my brain was like, that's really cool.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, so, you know, obviously you're taking one of the most difficult degree paths at AM. You had to face some challenges as a student. Um, can you outline a few of those that maybe you faced that you have overcame?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. That's a great question. It's, um, I mean, it's, I think with the gift of hindsight, I can realize that most of the problems that I had to encounter like just kind of in a general sense were problems that probably everybody had um, college is a weird time in, I think, Everybody's life in college, the concept of it is kind of weird. There's no other point in your life that you're surrounded by only people your age. You know, growing up, you're around your parents. And of course, when you're in school, you're around your peers. But in college, you're kind of almost shipped off to an island where you live with people between the ages of 18 and 25. And then you have some professors there. So it, it can it can be a very much a culture change for almost anybody. Um, I think that that made it a little difficult to necessarily find a like a sense of of purpose or belonging. Um, I had and this might have been true with you, too, once you moved to Texas, but I had a ton of people I went to high school with uh, move. Uh, and go to a m with me and so it was not really hard to find the same friends i had hung out with for years and um, that's all well and good till everybody starts joining things and moving in different directions and if you're the last one to move or join something then you can feel a little bit um, uh, directionless i guess you'd say so it was it was definitely something that took me more than two semesters to kind of realize that hey i should really start to get involved and so I ended up joining a fraternity and it was I wish I had done it the day I got there just because while I still didn't lose my high school friends I just found something that was uniquely unique to my A&M experience while I was there and that was something I encourage almost anybody to do. It's, um, you know, it can be a little bit daunting trying to go to this, they hold an event where you can see all the different clubs or the different um, Greek houses or or whatever you want to do in college. But I think everybody should go to that, even if it is kind of out of your comfort zone, because you'll find some group of people that you connect with in some way and it makes your experience so much richer. Um, I think that that was... Probably the more I talk to people about their college experiences, the more I kind of realized people said, oh, I was a part of this, but I wish I had I only did it for six of the eight semesters. I was there. I wish I had done it all eight. And um, that's I realized it wasn't as common or it wasn't as uncommon as it was uh, that I thought it was at the time.
0: Yeah, it's so important. Uh, you know, especially when you're in these large universities, when I was at AM and I graduated in 1990, a long time ago, I know. Uh, but there were 38,000 students and today there's somewhere around 77, 78,000 students in, in college station. And, uh, so it is very important with so many students to get involved and have, you know, people that you have a common interest in. And, uh, so clearly that propelled you, you know, you, you're, you're moving towards your degree. In fact, you're, you know, you're, you're motivated to, to graduate as degreed nuclear engineer, right? What did you expect your career path to be, right? Were you thinking you were going to go and work, uh, you know, at the South Texas project or what, what was the mindset? What were you getting prepared to do as you were, you know, ending your junior year and moving into your senior year? What were you thinking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was um, I I was in the degree program and getting my degree when the Fukushima disaster happened in Japan, Uh, a tsunami caused um, an earthquake, sorry, an earthquake caused a tsunami, which ended up breaching the containment area and flooding this massive nuclear reactor in Japan, which caused a partial meltdown. Uh, I won't go into the gory details of it all, but it Basically put this black rain cloud over the nuclear industry. So uh, I had fully planned on going into something to do with nuclear energy, whether it be research uh, on how to make better, more efficient reactors or whether it was um, working at someplace, like you said, the South Texas project, um, that was the closest one to the Houston area and, and college station as well. I, I was even considering law school to kind of lobby on behalf of the nuclear industry. Cause I thought that that would, that would be, that would be really cool. But you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, as they say, it, it wasn't an unforeseen disaster of course. And it really did turn the whole industry on its side. Um, mm. Months after that, the federal government decided that they were going to quit funding uh, for the nuclear waste depository in um, Nevada. And it really kind of put the whole nuclear industry on notice in the U.S. that a government didn't support it anymore and that capital projects were going to start to become, uh, they were already pretty dicey to begin with, but now they were almost dead in the water if if not truly dead in the water so um, it, it was difficult um, yeah, yeah, I can imagine
0: that must have been a very interesting time and almost daunting time, right looking back going man, did I just waste three four years of my life, all this homework all this time in
1: classes you know it had to go through your mind oh for sure yeah it was it was like well. And You know, where do I go from here? You, you feel like you're almost backed into a corner. You feel like, okay, um, I had friends that were looking into, you know, either trying to switch their degree plan two and a half years in or immediately trying to pivot onto a different master's degree or just trying to build themselves as a general engineer. It was... You know, I, I think that everybody had a little bit of sense of panic because it was a shot to our identity at the time. It was it was hard to know who you were in this world that seemingly didn't really want you anymore. Or uh, and that's not to say that the people that were rejecting nuclear energy were not were not right in some way. I, one of my favorite things that a professor ever said to me was was kind of about people's sentiment on nuclear Technology in general. And, you know, nuclear weapons were used offensively in the Second World War. And it's, to my knowledge, the only time that they've ever been used uh, offensively. And it's hard, this professor would say, it's hard to stab somebody with a kitchen knife and then try to convince them that it's good for cutting vegetables. You know, you can't show a, a, yeah. a display of violence with something and then say, oh, wait, no, this is great. We can all power our homes and eventually our cars and, and you know, whatever the 1950s dream was of nuclear energy. Um, it's it's a hard argument to make after that.
0: Well, and that's an, that's an interesting analogy. But, you know, what I, what I get out of hearing this story from you is that you're learning a very valuable lesson early in life. And that is that. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how frustrated or how bad a situation seems, you got to keep moving in a direction. As we progress in this conversation, our listeners are going to see how you did that and how your degree gave you some skills that you needed, but they weren't directly related to the, ultimately, to the industries that you found a ton of success in. But the skills that you learned in pursuing that degree positioned you for that. And uh, you didn't panic. You continued to move in a direction and then opportunities. Mm basically, you know, showed themselves to you and took advantage of those. So that's where I'm I'm super excited. We're about to get out of the college phase. But before we do, I'd like you to relate any funny college experiences that our listeners could learn from.
1: Oh yeah. I'll have to tell the ones I can actually tell on your podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, keep oh, it no. clean. Yeah. I have a I have a pretty good one. This is this is one of my favorite stories <laughs> from from college. It was um, it, it was about making a friend and it was... Oh, okay, so I'll just jump into it. So it was a Friday night. And I know it was a Friday night because it was the weekend before Mother's Day. So this is in May. Um, I had planned on going home to see my mom the next day. So on the Saturday, uh, just a quick drive to Cyprus. Uh, my roommate had left earlier that day and I was at the home alone for the night and didn't really know what I was going to do. And I had some friends some friends send out a group text and say like, Hey, we're going to go to so-and-so's pool. They have a volleyball court there. And, um, I said, okay, cool. Sounds good. Um, I'll meet you there at, you know, we didn't do anything before 9 PM it seemed like, but okay, I'll meet you there at 9 PM. Um, so 9 PM or till comes around and I'm headed out to my car and I get a text again. that's like, Oh, Hey, um, somebody that can let us in is still at work. They're going to be done with work in about half an hour. So everybody just cool it for half an hour and then we'll meet there. So I'm like, okay, i walk back to my apartment, go back in, probably start watching breaking bad or something. And, um, this was in 2013. So that's a, that's a, accurate reference there. Um, And I somehow, I somehow fall asleep. I'm just a pass out. I was super tired. I don't know. So I wake up about two in the morning to this noise in my kitchen. And I'm like, man, my roommate is being so loud at getting food. And I realized, oh, he, um, he left for the weekend and nobody else lives here. And it's just, it's just me and him. So I'm like, oh man, it's me And there's somebody else in this house, for sure. And I'm alone. It's 2 in the morning. And um, I don't know what to do. And so, for some context, I lived pretty close to to the bar district in College Station called Northgate. And it was... About 2 in the morning and all the bars in Texas close around 2 a.m. So it wasn't unusual to hear people outside walking around. But this noise was definitely coming from inside my kitchen. So I get out of bed silently. I grab something as, as a weapon. I, I, I think it was like my fraternity paddle or something. It was, it was just something to try to appear a little larger than I did. And I, I slowly open the door. And as I open the door, I see this guy. And half of, you know, he's shoulder deep in my freezer. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing? And he looks at me and he goes, I'm in the wrong apartment. And I go, yeah, you are. And he pulls out his arm and he has a waffle in his hand. And I say, and Lego my ego. And, (laughs) and, and he looks at me and says, oh, And I walk him out and he goes, Oh man, you live in 206. I live in 306. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, I just missed the stairs. I I don't know what happened. So I ended up meeting this guy another time. He came down the next day to say how sorry he was and the news. Glad I didn't have a gun or anything. And like, no, but It was it was a tense moment for sure, but (laughs) I got to use the iconic ego line on him.
0: That's Uh, awesome. That is. uh, Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had or will have similar college experiences. Um, You know, strange things happen when you're out after midnight. And uh, obviously that guy's probably telling a different side of the story. That's pretty funny, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, the uh I ended up letting he kept the waffle. Uh we became friends and he had us over every time that they would have a get together. Uh, and so it was a I guess moral of the story. Um most people make mistakes and and if they do, they they didn't mean to make them and you can still be friends after it. First impressions yeah, aren't and always yours
0: And yours was remember to lock the door.
1: <laughs> I needed to lock the door. Yes, I somehow didn't do that and so he got in. <laughs>
0: That's good. All right. Well, uh, okay. So now you've graduated for about to graduate from Texas A&M. You're uh, you're lining up your first job. So I'm curious, what was your first job out of college and how did you get the position?
1: So the simple answer to how I got the position was this cool Aggie ring I have on. Um, But there's more to the story. So I was interviewing for jobs after college and I I realized that I probably should go into the oil and gas industry or at least look there because Houston is known for its oil and gas jobs and, and the career opportunities that it provides and being kind of the center of the industry. So... Um, I interviewed with a company called Dresser Rand. Um, they are a reciprocating um, machinery company and they have a couple locations here in Houston. And they had a team called the Environment, Health and Safety Team that was really looking for an engineer to come in and, and provide a critical eye for improvements to machinery and tooling. Um, so a bit of a left turn from nuclear engineering as far as that goes, but kind of the first of many left turns I take, um, Mm -hmm. they had a location in Houston that was their service center. So if machinery needed either emergency service or just kind of regular service companies that owned the machines would send it there and we would work on it. Um, it was a half machine shop, half like precision machinery testing. So it was, it, it was a pretty interesting place to work. Um, and they they really wanted somebody who could look at it in the way that an engineer would and not necessarily somebody who had just occupational health and safety uh, background might look at something. Um, they're very much kind of by the book, by the rules on the way things go. And, you know, it, kind of a new person can look at something from a completely different uh, angle, uh, sometimes You don't have the best ideas because you don't necessarily have the expertise in it. But that was what everybody else on the team was there for. So I was kind of brought in as the different idea guy. And okay, so I interviewed with the VP of that department and he immediately saw the ring on my hand. And he said, well, I guess I have to hire you because both my daughters go to A&M. So it's just part of the tradition, right? I said, sounds good to me. And so I started there in May of 2014 after I graduated and, um, I was there for a, I was there for a, for a bit, but it just kind of shows how important that
0: I was going to tell you, I mean, you've got some unique skills in the degree, right? And you did great in the interview and they saw those unique skills and then you had the ag ring to just be the icing on the cake. And it was the reason they just said, let's, let's go forward here. Makes sense. Great, great yeah. way to get the job. Did, did you leverage the placement center by any chance?
1: I, you know, I looked in that it's been so long. I, I think that I did. And, but I don't think that this specific job came from the placement center. What okay. they do really well are mock interviews. You can go and sign up. And I don't know if you did that at all, but it was a really. Oh, I was
0: I was a hundred hundred percent. I got my first job out of A and M at the uh, with Eastman Kodak. Right at the time, it was a Fortune 500 company. Great sales training program, and and uh, I actually connected with that job through the Texas A and M Career Placement Center. Oh, that's it was cool! Excellent. I, yeah, my whole interview process, I was flying around the country to four different companies, and it was a lot of fun. And Kodak was the one I ultimately chose, and uh, it was a great way to start off my career. So cool. But enough about me. Let's uh, let's talk about. So so you're working at Dresser Rand. You've you're uh, I'm curious, right? Leaving college, that that uh, incubator, if you will, right? And now you've got your first year in the real working world. What was that like? What was that transition like?
1: It was tough. I, I don't think I would I was fully ready for it. I mean, I had been an intern, but interns are kind of treated as like a temporary person, not necessarily like a like a full team member. Um, and it was it was way different than anything I had experienced up to that point, including internships, um, school, and and even interns uh, have a very transactional relationship with their authority figures you do a thing it gets graded you get your feedback and then you kind of move on to the next thing Uh, work especially in oil and gas was still pretty goal oriented but with a slower pace and a much much bigger scope projects might be over the course of months not over the course of two weeks because you have to move on to the next thing in school um mm-hmm. but it's w- one of the things that I found kind of difficult and this might have been a little self-imposed was was just really genuinely connecting with coworkers. Um especially just my first job really. Um but I was younger by everybody than ten, fifteen years, so probably like a generation younger than most people. And Felt maybe a little stiff around everybody, not realizing that these are just normal people. They go home. They might have wives and children, um, but they more or less have the same interests I do. They want to talk about the football game on Monday. They want to talk about who they saw in concert the weekend before. They want to talk about what they're doing for dinner that night or, or whatever, you know, it, it, um, so I think, I think that that was kind of a, there was some learning curve there. It was, it was so relationship based, um, as far as the working environment went where school was, you had a relationship with your peers in school, but you didn't necessarily always have to have a relationship with your authority figures, people like managers in the workplace. It's all, relationship-based, you know, you want to make sure that yeah. you have really good rapport with them. And and it. the first job was one where I basically learned all of that. And I, you know, I, I understood what it was like to be in the working world. And, you know, the more, again, back to the idea of like, the more I listen to other people, the more I figure out that other people have had this same sort of, you know, issue or problem or concern with, with their work environments. So it was, it was something that I.
0: Yeah. I was going to tell you that's making those interpersonal connections is so critical to progressing in a career. Uh, And it's, it's not just in that job, but those connections can intertwine over an entire career at different companies and different organizations. And the fact that you learned that and were exposed to that in your first year, obviously had to help in this rapid progression that you, you know, from graduating at 22 to, to where you are today at 30, uh, and when you get into that story, it's pretty amazing. So, um, the things you've learned here in this first year at dresser Rand must have contributed to, to this path and your success. So pretty awesome. I would say let's, so. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Let's, let's talk now. So, um, Something happened there at Dresser Ran that kind of puts you on another path. So let's go into your next career opportunities, how they developed, and what you learned in each of those positions.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, actually, just a few months into working at Dresser, it was acquired by Siemens and specifically the Siemens Energy Group and that's based out of Orlando. Uh, it was interesting and frightening at the same time, because when you have an acquisition, you never know, okay, is my position safe? Am I going to need to be looking for a new job? Um, but it's also really exciting because you now have a new kind of parent company that you could possibly explore new opportunities in. And Siemens is enormous. It's a, you know, a giant German multinational conglomerate of, of so many different things. And, um, they offered a leadership management program, like an accelerated management program out of Orlando that I was able to get some info on through kind of a shared contact that I, that I made with the transition team once they acquired us. And um, they like to recruit young engineers to, to lead different aspects of their field service organization. And uh, believe it or not, some of it service nuclear power plants. And so I was able to talk to one of the guys and say, "Hey, I see that, you know, in the portfolio of stuff that field service does, they they go to power plants, and specifically nuclear ones, and I know a thing or two about nuclear power and, you know, w- what we call both the hot side and the cold side, the hot side being the reactor and the cold side being the turbine that makes the power." And they said, "That's cool." And you know, are you interested in sitting for an interview? And I said, yeah, for sure. And so um, I finally got to jump into this and I interviewed and I was offered the position and I, I finally got into the nuclear world. Um, I trained for a summer in Orlando um, at their main campus, and that was so much fun. Um, I got to travel to a few different nuclear plants Arkansas Nuclear 1 in Russellville, Arkansas, um, then two in Tennessee Watts Bar Nuclear and Sequoia Nuclear. Um, both really cool places. Um, I was finally live in my dream of working in the nuclear industry. And I immediately realized I wanted to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So it was, um, so you're like, wait, I thought you got everything you wanted and it's, you know, true, but it's funny how things happen. And I I had a kind of, I had a couple major gripes with kind of the reality of my dream. It was, um, You know, it was something that uh, I think a lot of people feel too. And again, kind of the theme of things is I realized that some of my problems weren't as common as I thought that or as unique to me as I thought that they might be. Um, But first is that nuclear power plants are out in the middle of nowhere. And probably for good reason. I could, you know, I could rattle off all the different reasons why that's a good idea. But suffice it to say, they're not near anything. Um, And the second, uh, while fascinating as an industry and as a science, it's one of the slowest moving industries in the world. And again, also probably for pretty good reason. So definitely. Yeah. It's, it was cool stuff, but it was slow and regimented and out in the middle of nowhere. When I was doing these jobs, I'd have to travel, like I said, to Arkansas or Tennessee or wherever, and you go for months at a time. Because you're working on these outages for the field service and you work, I was working seven days a week, 13 hours a day, taking every 21st day off. So it was, it sounds awful, but it actually is, as far as work goes, because you don't have anything else to do. It was really nice. You work all day, um, you go home, you sleep, you wake up, you do it again. And you become really good friends with all the people there. That was, that was definitely an upside is like the people. And, um, I met so many smart people that were there working on these, you know, just world-class machines. And, and, and that was, that was really, really interesting to get to, to get to know them. But ultimately I made the decision that I needed to find something else to do. Um, I was at the time dating my girlfriend who is now my wife. Um, and, I really wanted to be around her more rather than spend nine months of the year on the road. So between assignments, I was just sitting at home and one day I get, I get this email from a recruiter at Tesla. And, um, this was in 2017 and I was, I was vaguely familiar with the electric car company and I knew who Elon Musk was, but not a lot really about him. Um, and I had, Surely, never been to California before, but they invited me out for an interview um, for back to the safety side of things. They had seen that that's what I was doing at Tressor Rand, and um, so I interviewed at their Fremont, California-based factory f- as a uh, senior safety specialist for their for their powertrain department. Okay, and um,
0: where is Fremont, California? Is that Northern California? Where is that?
1: It is. Yeah, it's about. 30 minutes South of Oakland. So it's on the East side of the Bay. Um, But it's maybe 45 minutes from San Francisco and 15 minutes from San Jose. It's a, it's a kind of a, one of the many towns of the Bay area. Yep. Got it. So, so I flew out to California and it was my first time ever being there. And I sat for this interview and I, I just, I just knew that it was, going to be something they offered me. The interview went great. Um, I clicked with everybody. Um, One of the guys that interviewed me actually used to work at Dresser Rand. And I think that's how they found me. Is that um, they called there and asked for a reference, and they said that you know we had this guy and he left to go to the management program, but he was working and doing this for us. And they said, "Oh, is he still there?" And I said, "No, he's um, he's out in field service now." And I had actually told my my old manager at Dresser that you know it, 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 he checked in with me every once in a while to see how it was going. And I said, "You know, it's great. It's just a it's just a lot of." Um, it's just a lot of travel. And so I think that's how they got my info. I never confirmed that with anybody, but it, it, it kind of made sense. Um, so, so I interviewed and I was ultimately offered the job and, I came to this kind of crossroads in my life. It was a. It was a. Parts of it were difficult, and parts of it were not. the The simplest decision I made was proposing to my girlfriend, um, Kelsey, who's now my wife, and um, so that was the easy part. She said yes because I I swore when I got that job that if I got it, I was going to take her with me if she was willing. Um, but the next one really was around whether or not we take the risk of going to a place we've never been 2000 miles away with a company that's looking to really try to disrupt the market and you know best case they do great worst case they file for bankruptcy it folds we're out in california we don't know a soul our family's 2000 miles away it, it was it was a big risk but i definitely think that it was one worth taking um do you know the only two american car companies that have never filed for bankruptcy i do but i'm gonna let you relay the answer eh? (laughs) so ford is one of them and tesla is the other so and that's sometimes people like to add so far to that but um i think they're both doing well anyway um but I, I think fundamentally when you're capable of recovery, you should take calculated risks. And it's something that in that situation, you know, moving across the country was definitely a risk. But I don't think we had much to lose by doing it. So it it, it didn't endanger any sort of um, status or anything we had worked for it was it was just this opportunity of a lifetime and i'm you know with hindsight i'm so happy that we took it and it was it was amazing so so off we set for california and when we got there it was actually my wife's first time there too when we drove into the state uh and crossed because we drove our our dog there and when we crossed from arizona into california it was her first time ever being there um Hmm. we lived in this tiny little apartment and we spent all of our money on rent and groceries. And you know, it was, we were so happy. It was, it was great. We ended up getting married out there uh, about a year and a half later. And um, we had, we had the best time. Um, But as far as career goes, I, I just got straight to work when we got there. I hope
0: you've enjoyed the first part of our discussion with Nathan Powell. We will be continuing this conversation as Nathan begins his career with Tesla in episode number two. So please download and enjoy. You have been listening to the Brawny Conversations podcast. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us today. And please subscribe to the podcast to receive our latest episodes and give us a follow on social media new episodes are now in production and we can't wait to share them with you. Pursue your passions and help others along the way. Have a great day and thank you for listening.